Hello, my friends. My name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hi, everybody on Education Monsters. I'm here with Sarat, and we've been long friends since our time in Massachusetts because we worked in the same pharmaceutical company. So Sarat is Cambodian and also American. So he has worked with me in 2015, no, in 2016, I think it was this long ago, and we've kept in touch. <laughs> I moved to Montreal, and it's now funny that we are recording this podcast episode on Cambodian New Year, Cambodian tradition, and I feel like it's very important to acknowledge the fact that we also share this background, and yeah, it's also something that we sort of left off for a more Western culture. So welcome to you. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Riley. It's, it's really nice to be here. It was, it was really cool, because I remember when we first met, I was working and my first job out of college, and I was so scared and so lost. And just to see another Cambodian employee there was just like a huge relief. <laughs> it's so funny. It blew my mind, though, because, I mean, I'm American Cambodian, but you're French Cambodian. I didn't even know that was a thing, honestly. <laughs> like, a lot of us don't know that. It is funny because we do have a small Cambodian community in France and I grew up with that in my family, but I just haven't been aware of the whole thing happening in Lowell. And I guess we celebrated Cambodian New Year together in 2017, right? Yes, yes, we did. That was a fun time. I remember you said you were missing a lot of the the traditions, food, the people and things like that. Because, you, you, you know, sometimes, be, especially being away from your home, I think you were living in Boston at the time and you didn't really have have many Cambodian contacts I, you just don't get any of the food so you know we went down I'm from Lowell Mass that's where there's a huge population of Cambodian people in America it's either in Massachusetts or California the two main places I remember I brought you down and at, there was a bunch of events at local temples but I remember I brought you to one of the parks where they were having a little ceremony and in Lowell the actual community at that park is recognized by the city they even put up little banners and flags calling it little Cambodian town but it was it was a great time you know we had all our games all our food things like that i feel like it's so great because you were telling me the story of the city and how the community got involved it's not like oh the, the government tried to help this community it's like literally <laughs> from the bottom up someone took the initiative of renovating this park and making a tradition every year and it happens because people want this it's not something that was imposed it's mm -hmm. actually like people actually care to pursue those traditions and to not have it lost. Because um, I feel like in France, there were a lot of Cambodian immigrants and their goal was to make their kids more westernized, having yes. western names and also sort of forgetting the traditions, not going to the temple as much. And I mean, at least it was like this in my family. We mostly spoke French because my parents wanted to practice the French and we also got uh, French names. And it's basically that generation that sacrificed themselves in order for us to become white. But it's so strange because <laughs> in the eyes of white people, we'll never be white. So it's yeah. like pushing us in all these directions. And it, it was definitely like eye-opening to see that you live in a community that also promote multicultural identities and you don't just have to choose one. Yeah, no, I find myself really blessed because within Massachusetts, Lowell is like this huge, diverse melting pot. You have people of all ethnical backgrounds, Hispanic, Asian, Black people, white people, all sorts of things. But especially the Cambodian populations really really, really there. And, and as a community, you know, it's pretty wholesome if you look in the right places. I mean, there's always going to be bad places in any town you go to. But uh, as you were saying about that community story, I want to elaborate on that again, because he's a really, he's a really great man. Uh, his name is uh, Fang, but we just call him Tha Wang, you know, Grandpa Wang, if for those of you who don't <laughs> understand. But uh, he renovated, basically took a city park that was unused, you know, filled with garbage and trash, and, you know, known for gang violence. And he, he put his own money and time and renovated it, cleaned it up and turned it into a volleyball park. Took down his own equipment, put it, set it up, set up uh, six volleyball courts because I guess back in the homeland, that was his favorite sport. And he had a lot of friends that played it. And it started off small, you know, it just started off with a, a small group of people getting dirty in the everyday playing from sunrise to sunset and you know after five ten maybe even 15 years started to get more and more recognition until eventually the city held a little ceremony where they they, they set up a little ribbon uh, important people were there state representatives and things like that they gave a little speech they cut a ribbon and they gave him a little key to the park basically saying he's a caretaker <laughs> which is really cool and you know 
everyone loves him. All the Cambodian people gather there to play volleyball, have some drinks, have some food, things like that. And then I think it's really cool because, you know, as, as it grew, more and more of our traditions and ceremonies were held there. Like if there's a big Cambodian event, like a New Year's or, or a festival, there's probably something going on there. Yeah, what I liked so. about this event is that it was not just closed off to Cambodians. So if you were from a different background, you could also attend. Like there was not someone at the entrance checking like, oh, are you really Cambodian or are you like... <laughs> <laughs> so like everyone yeah, you know, was accepted and nobody questioned yeah. it or looked at you weird if you don't look a certain way and I know in the Cambodian population it's sort of taboo to have like different shades of dark so like we have the Chinese Cambodian who are lighter skin and also like the dark oh, yeah. Cambodians and so there's no such discriminations as, as you would like see in the older generations I'm glad that mindsets are evolving and it feels like we're moving towards like inclusiveness oh yeah definitely I mean it's, it's really great to see and I honestly I love seeing other people of different races go there and then enjoying the food or enjoying the music or just enjoying watching people doing their culture just because it helps you feel better about yourself because you know you go to some places you feel isolated and you're like oh people would think that's weird or people would think that food smells weird it smells like fish or something you know strong that they don't like but you know you you give it a try you know maybe you might like that fermented fish you know that smell will, will start to smell like home <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the fermented fish. So back when I was a kid, my family used to take us to the pagoda. I felt like it it just fell apart when we grew up and people don't have time to do that anymore. And I feel like social life is one of the things that goes out the window when you have kids and you have other responsibilities. But I did remember the food and the smell. And it's like a community thing that the food is like super cheap and you can share recipes. And it's also like a place to gossip. And it's funny because I was speaking with a, a student of mine who was telling me like people actually go to the pagoda to find wives and husbands like <laughs> wow because it's i don't place. think i've seen that before they don't have tinder or anything they just That's go true. there for social events and they look each other up what no tinder you're showing your age really That's <laughs> <laughs> cambodian tinder it should be a business idea. yeah Honestly, I bet, you know, there's some form out there. They, they, you know, they, they have different things. I bet out there there's a Cambodian Tinder and, and there's probably a bunch <laughs> of people on it that if we just don't know about it. Gotta find it's it. It's true. It's on its way. Like, we just don't know about it. So talking about Cambodian New Year, I guess this year is going to be a little weird because of COVID. So how Oh, do you man. Yeah, things have been super weird. Even throughout all of last year, they, they basically canceled most events. Some temples still tried to hold gatherings, but it was really like looked down upon because, you know, weren't supposed to have large gatherings and things like that. So most of them backed out of it. And then even the, the famous uh, water festival that's held in Lowell every year along the uh, the Merrimack River was canceled. It was usually a huge event. You know, they do dragon boat races. They, they play a lot of music. And there's a bunch of food stalls all along the riverside. You can get coconuts and sugarcane and all forms of plants and fruits. But none of that this year because of the, uh, the pandemic. So we'll see with the vaccine rolling out. I mean, the new year isn't until the middle of April. And if the vaccine becomes more accessible to the public and you know then maybe maybe this year will be the year it comes back and what were your impressions on your community's perception of the vaccine do you think that they're accepting it are they excited about it are they suspicious or skeptic about it so here's the thing i'm part of the the younger generation i'm in my early 20s so i see a lot more uh, people who have gone through education you know they're not just refugees from the war or anything like that so most of them they definitely are on board the vaccine 100% some of the older people you know who only believe in traditional medicine you know herbs and roots and different plants and things like that are like no the doctor's just lying it's not going to help things like that so there's definitely a generational thing in in there that would you would usually see more people leaning one way or the other i was just thinking this because i did remember in my family like <laughs> back in cambodia they are very superstitious about ghosts and about souls yes. and stuff so they would associate like pandemic and viruses and mostly diseases with you're being possessed. So I'm sort of glad it's moving forward 
but it's uh, kind of funny to look at it this way. So I was wondering if, like, what would be their views on the vaccine because of that? Honestly, I would have a deep talk with them, but I know during the start of the pandemic, my parents were pulling out all sorts of traditional medicines that have no basis. Like, they were like, hey, put these onions in your room or eat this herb or drink this ginger drink and things like that. Just, you know, and it'll keep you safe. You won't get COVID. I'm like, that's not how it works. It's a virus. The plant is not going to stop the virus, but you know, I just just make them happy. I'll hang an onion in my window. <laughs> It's funny because I did recall that for when women give birth, usually they have to drink a certain potion and mm -hmm. that's all they get for a month. Like they don't leave the bed and they eat they drink like a, a ginger based oh drink you need your protein you need to walk around you need to bond with your baby like there's like a lot of activities that you should be doing instead of just like being sick yeah i know and it, it boggles my mind but i don't know maybe there's some basis for it maybe somewhere along their family line they were in a rural village where they didn't have access to medicine and that one technique they believe saved them but it probably had nothing to do with it that person was probably going to be fine but they're like no this this is what it was i don't want to i don't want to judge too much because maybe because some of these things you know some of these holistic medicine views and 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 Eastern medicines do have some effects that just aren't studied. You know, maybe there's a super vitamin or nutrient in the food that uh, is really good at boosting whatever defense you have against uh, sickness. I, I don't know. But from a scientific standpoint, you know, it's hard to it's hard to believe. And the placebo effect, of course. Oh, yeah. You know, when you when you, the more you believe it works, the higher chance you have of feeling better about it. And maybe that in itself is what makes you have better results. Yeah, it's true. We do have to study positive psychology a little more and study happiness and how we perceive a certain treatment can affect our healing and our immune system because then you believe in it. Exactly. So despite the COVID this year, because it may or may not happen, 2021, we'll just see if it's a big surprise. And also it feels like Massachusetts is pretty liberal and might be allowing uh, the celebration. Uh, even if, we, if people wear masks, I feel like it's not as strict as Canada or France, where you really cannot gather or see your friends. The fact that Cambodian New Year is celebrated within three days, I feel like you can split the people that you see so like on the first day you see your family you see your monks and on the second day you're supposed to see other relatives you visit the temples and you give like money to the poor and on the third day you like can see like other people and because you can spread that out it feels more feasible than if it was just like a one day you know like in western traditions yeah honestly it would definitely help but the problem is that it's not really an organized event it's just everybody knows this new year's and you go to your respective temples and you celebrate Maybe the most organization you'll have is within your local group, like, oh, my family or, you know, us and our cousin's family. But it's not entirely organized. Some events are, like I mentioned, you know, the Waterfest that is strictly done along the Merrimack River and all the event is held there. But the, the New Year's, you know, you have different temples that have different leaders and different sects. I mean, even between monk groups, they have different beliefs. You know, so, so they have, they split. It's like churches, you know, from the West, they have different forms of Christianity. These monks, they have their different teachings and what they believe is right. So they set up different temples. And, and it's interesting to see, but um, that definitely proves challenging for, you know, your ideas of having people uh, split it up to see family one day and then do the events there another day. It does give them the opportunity to. So I think on an individual basis, if they were to consider that, take advantage of the fact that uh, the Cambodian New Year is three days, I think that would definitely help out. And how big is your family into it? Do you feel like they will push? Do you think... I feel like celebrate it. my parents and grandparents are super big into it because, you know, when, like I said, when the temples, you know, new ones arrived, well, recently one of the newer temples uh, started growing and my parents are really big into that. They try to be there every weekend if they can. And they're, they know all the people who are in charge and run it. And they like to get involved in all the charity events. So they're definitely into it. And I know at least half of my siblings. I have a big family. There's seven kids in my family. I know at least half <laughs> of my siblings uh, are really into that. And I know the other half are sort of leaning more toward agnostic, where they're not really religious, but, you know, they try to believe in something and they, they try to humor my parents and just to make them happy and attend these things. So I know half of them will definitely try to go out and do the New Year stuff. But mainly, 
I think the older generation care about the temple stuff and the the tradition. And do you find yourself closer to the siblings who share similar values? Or does it not matter? Like the concept of family, like family is family. And no matter what you think, so no matter how traditional you are, you're still going to stick the same to your siblings equally? I think that those traditions, as long as they're done with like respect and they're not tried to be forced upon people, then it's easy to see both sides of the family. In my personal case, it's easy because, you know, no one tries to force anything. But I, I do think that there would definitely be cases where people are unhappy with having to do these traditions if they're not really into it. Like I have friends who are complete atheists and they're like, no, that's, that's not my scene. If you want to go to the temple, that's on you. I'll meet you later. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> and even for the food the food is so good my god yes that is the main drawing point for a lot of people they go they eat they let the the monks do their little chants and things like that or they watch a parade that goes around then they leave so i guess you know there is still things for other people to enjoy but i know a lot of the new years is done with like religious and traditional aspects to it yeah there's a lot of traditional aspect like you were saying but it's also like when i visited the event when I came to visit Law, uh, there was also lots of games and songs and it makes oh, yeah. it fun. It makes it attractive for even little kids to get involved. So it's not just like as stern, like you just keep praying all day. It's also like social, it's lively. And I feel like games are like the most anticipated parts because that's when you usually like let go of like all the stress of the work and you don't have issues. You just like play and you were emphasizing volleyball. And it's also huge in my family. I don't know why volleyball is such an obsession, but it's like just like the adrenaline kicking in it's a it's gotta be a cambodian thing you know maybe that's one of the first <laughs> sports they learned i have no idea but i think all of us have it somewhere deep down it's just like oh that is a really cool game <laughs> but um no it's a definitely i remember some of my my best childhood memories would be going on like new year's to the temple because all the kids would be there kids you don't know kids you go to school with you know friends of your friends that you're just excited to meet And they would have all these different games set up and all these different toys and food and candy you could win. But I'm not sure if it's because that's just how it is normally or if it's because the country, you know, went through a war where most of the, the citizens lost their childhood. I know my parents just in the middle of their childhood just survived that war and it basically turned them into adults. They didn't really get to enjoy being young. I don't know if it's more to just like, you know, oh, give these kids the, some really good fun and enjoyment while they're young. It's definitely catered to the younger people. I know some of the older people will play some games, like you'll have people kicking around uh, a say, which is like a feathered hacky sack and things like that. But I feel like most of the older people try to do stuff and you know, try to be more involved in either the prayers or some other events like the parade or you know getting new year's luck charms and more i don't know more adult and less game type stuff <laughs> i don't know how to put it but it just is much more calm when you're adult. i know when i was a kid i was wild on new year's it's like oh it's the best time in the world you know <laughs> it definitely calms down when you're older Yeah, and there's also different types of games because it's not like dancing or board games like you would imagine. It's like anything involving sports or physical dexterity, like you were saying. So it's a lot of uh, physical effort. Like you have to really get involved with your body. And it's funny how we have adult games But you also have kids games. Did you notice that we also have separation, but sometimes like everybody gets together? And it yes. feels like, <laughs> yeah, it also feels like it's the time when boys and girls sort of play together because if you're very traditional, like in my grandmother's generations, you don't mix up, especially after people, really like girls are usually kept inside and they don't usually have contact with boys. At least she couldn't. And New Year's is the time where you can like <laughs> play around with everybody. Oh. That is definitely an interesting point of view because I felt like when I was growing up, there was a lot of intermingling boys and girls, you know, all ages playing. And it would always be like the monks giving their little, I don't know if you experienced it, but they do this little thing with like flowers and holy water where everyone walks by and they just kind of splash you with it while doing their chants and things like that. Oh man, it's all coming back to me in this whole flood of nostalgia. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> and yes, the, you were talking about the ceremonial wash. So I thought those were mm -hmm. mostly to wash like elders, monks, and like you also have to like dip your Buddha statue in water and also like symbols that can represent your ancestors. So you wash them to ask for forgiveness and so that you can start the new year clean. And I do remember, yeah, I do remember it's like you put like some sort of flower to make it pretty mm -hmm. and smelly. And when I went to Cambodia, it was brought up a lot because the washing part makes it sacred sort of yeah it's their holy water i guess i don't understand where it comes from maybe it's the water they have in the the room when they're the monks are doing their chants they'll do a long like monologue chant that'll last like an hour and it's just i guess it's the whole ceremony to, to for, for their blessed water and you were talking about chants and songs so songs are also a huge part of the celebration for the new year we're also talking about karaoke <laughs> <laughs> yeah everybody loves karaoke so funny It's so funny. When you're Khmer, though, you have to say karaoke. That's it. You can't, you know, they, otherwise they don't know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite song to sing? Oh, man. I'm sticking with the topic. You know, everyone in Cambodia loves Priyat Sabat. And there's an old song that me and my brothers always sing. I think it's the only song we know in Khmer called Min Nuk Mong Do you miss me? Basically, and it's a great song. I don't know. I think it's his best song ever. He's still famous to this day, and he still makes music to this day. But his old songs had more of a heartfelt soul to them. Can you sing a little bit? Oh man! Now you're putting me on the spot. I oh, let me see. I can just sing you that one line because without following along to the song, it is just really weird. But uh, the one line goes, and he goes on and he goes on. And honestly, for me, it's weird to sing in Kwai without uh, either a lead singer or some background music because, you know, I, I mainly grew up with English. <laughs> It's so funny because we do have a lot of traditional instruments as well, like lots of fiddles and lots of songs. And mm -hmm. it's like slowly westernizing. Have you heard like Cambodians singing with a, an accent in English? Yes, I have. And it's sometimes so it's really bad. Like I'm yes. just like, my God, you would sound fine if you just sang in my. There's no need for you to try to sing it in English. But I guess it gives them clout in, in Cambodia. But there are some songs that have become popular in the last few years that uh, have more of a westernized beat to them. Because usually Cambodian songs, they use mainly just uh, traditional instruments and, you know, traditional drums, traditional like fiddles, like you said. But I've seen some that have started to use beats that sound more western and they, you know, they actually sound pretty decent. So if they're going to westernize, at least, you know, some of them are getting it right. <laughs> <laughs> also talking about dance since we're here are you familiar with like the i don't know what you call that the thing yes when you wave your hands around like that it's typical cambodian steps i don't know what it's called either but i don't know i don't know if it's just in our blood but you see it once and everyone can do it you know you just you just kind of wave your hands around and extend your fingertips and yeah I know what you're it talking feels, about. It feels very, like, uptight. Like, you're not moving the rest of your body very much. Just like, uh, you know, like, in if you go to a club in the U.S., people just, like, get agitated. They jump everywhere. But, like, yes. the Cambodian dancing is so reserved. It's like, you, it you're is, just moving your hands. You literally just stick your hands out and you kind of step, take a couple steps in a <laughs> slow rhythm or a fast rhythm, depending on the song. But I guess that's just how they did it in the old country. I have no idea where it comes from. But it, yes, you're also, right. It's, it's totally reserved. They're also huge into the medicine, like the square line dance. Yeah. I honestly don't know if that is like recent Cambodian or if that's like traditional from like ancient times. It seems Western to me, the way it does a little box dance. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's a fun song to dance to and everyone knows it. And when you're in a group of 100 people and you don't know anybody, but you're all doing the same dance, it's amazing. <laughs> it Once you hear that beat, na -na 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 everyone knows it's going down. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So... Um... In terms of Cambodian art, Cambodian music, do you have a personal attachment to that? Like, do you find it pretty? Like, do you decorate I, your home? I do. So it's always been my goal. If you've ever been to any Cambodian restaurant or, you know, I don't even 
know where else it would be or Cambodian Art Museum, there's always large portraits of the great temples in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And I actually, my parents actually have a few that they bought when they were there and we framed them. And I feel like when I get a house, I'm going to have like a large, maybe 80 inch painting just on my wall because that's how big they are. But those definitely are my favorite art pieces. The ones of the temples and the countryside, with their vibrant colors and their brush strokes like that. It's just growing up and seeing that every day, you, you really just like it. You're like, oh, wow. Like it is very impressive that they built this temple and it's so steep. I'm not sure if you went mm-hmm. on to It's like very hard for people with physical disability to go up because it's so steep and so slopey. And <laughs> I feel like it's also like really hot. So like if you have breathing issues, like it's hard to maintain like your cardio going up there. Yeah, I would, I would expect so, but it's crazy. I mean, they got so many old people that's just their normal life and they live in that heat and they, they live with those hills. And I guess they're just used to it. Maybe we've been in the West too long though. <laughs> we're so used to comfort mm-hmm, definitely yeah when was your last time in cambodia oh my god girl you know what's the craziest thing what <gasps> i have not been my little brother when he was six years old was the first one of me and my siblings to go because all of us were focusing on school and studying and my parents didn't want to take us because if they took any of us older siblings you know they would have had to take all of us and who wants to pay <laughs> for six plane tickets right <laughs> So he got a little bit unfair because he was born much later than the rest of us as a little young child. And all the rest of us are either in college or high school or working. They were like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's sneak him there. We'll, we'll take him there without anybody else. So I was like, ah, lucky. <laughs> Did they do I that? probably plan on going pretty soon. Yeah. Did they do that behind your back? Oh, yeah. Just one day, all of a sudden, they're just like, hey. Um, my mom was like, hey, so I'm leaving for a week or two. Here's some money. Buy some groceries. Uh, your dad is going to stay because he has work, but, you know, my dad works the night shift. So he sleeps all day, works all night. So, you know, he's just like, you, you take care of the house. That's what it was when I was in high school. And I was like, what? Well, you go on vacation to the motherland? I have to take care of the house? Thanks. <laughs> How unfair. It's so unfair. And she, when she came back, she was just glowing. My mom was just so happy. She had a nice tan. She's like, oh my God, the food was so good. I remember all the fruits and all the vegetables. They're so fresh. And it's like fresh mangoes and all these other things, dragon fruit every day. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I know the fruit is so good. Like I do remember like my grandmother always like having those exotic fruit. And I'm like, like, and I would like be familiar to them because that would be normal food for us. And then once my friends like saw that in the market, they're like, what is this? How do you eat that? How do you peel that? And I'm like, well, uh, this is how it's eaten. How do you not know what a khaki is? Like what's wrong with you? Right. That was the same experience I had growing up with uh, my American non-Asian, well, non-Southeast Asian friends. They, I was like the first time they saw a dragon fruit they're like wait what what is this how do i eat this or the first time they experienced a guava they just did not appreciate it well like the durian like this is the best thing ever i know you hate it but the durian i don't hate it per se it's just to (laughs) me to me it tastes like a banana that's very ripe other people say it tastes completely different to them so it's gotta be on an individual basis It's true. I feel like it's an acquired taste because with exposure, people can learn to like it, but it's either you love it or you hate it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't hate the smell. I know people who once it's open, they just immediately hate the smell. And it's like, oh no, that's way too strong. But you know, I I grew up with the smell in my house. My mom loves it. My sisters, they love it. So I just don't eat it. I deal with the smell. But it's quite expensive. I was very disappointed that in the States, I only saw the frozen form of it and it's already Mm -hmm. peeled. But in France, we have the whole ones and I guess they don't keep very much because you have to keep it at a certain temperature and even when they take the plane because they have to import them from Malaysia or something then they're already like not that good anymore yeah you know I would expect any less I mean there's different produce that has the issues but you know at least the frozen one I hear is still good for, for the people who like it I have not experienced the fresh one myself maybe when I go I will and we'll see if the smell is much stronger or not (laughs) (laughs) So, do you like bite the nap? Are you trying to say bite the nap? Yes. <laughs> I was sitting there like, wait a minute, girl. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Try it for me. It's, you know, you have to enunciate some things. That's, that's what the issue is. 
It's funny how, do you remember when we met, you said that I had a French accent speaking Cambodian and I was like, well, I can't even speak Cambodian. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically uh, a dessert with the sticky rice and yep. the sauce with durian in it and lots of sugar. And it's just so simple and it's very good. When I was little, I really liked it. I, you know, I really liked a lot of the sticky, like condensed milk desserts and things like that. But, you know, as I got older, I guess I'd lost most of my sweet tooth. So I don't really eat it much anymore. I could probably eat a little bit of it, but I'm not the biggest fan. For me, Cambodian flavors are more like the ones that I enjoy more are like savory, salty, maybe like umami, you know. Like if you gave me a choice between eating a bohok or baitanap, you know, I got to go with the bohok. That's it. Oh, no, that's bitter. Yeah, it's bitter. But, you know, you put it with some rice. Maybe some steak. Oh my God, you got yourself a meal. Okay, you have to describe this to our listeners. What is this? It's sort of like a fermented fish that you use to like make sauces. It's an interesting process. But I mean, it smells really strong because as you know, so strong. Always do. Yeah. And it kind of looks gross the first time you see it. But once you taste it, you know, it's just, it's just a whole world of flavor. Actually, it's hard I hard to like describe. It. I don't eat it because I don't have access to Cambodian food where I am in Montreal, mm -hmm. but I do eat it and it's similar to mackerel. Like, you know, like the, the fish in a can, like if you have mm -hmm. sardine or mackerel in the can, I feel like yeah. this. Uh, yeah, but that's just it. See, that's, see what you're thinking of is like the, the raw materials of the hook, which is just like the mudfish fermented in a yeah. jar. But when, it's when you take that, you know, you grind it up and you put it with like some, some other ingredients, you know, some eggplant and some other stuff. You turn it into a tuk bahok, you know, the water, basically, which, you know, is the, the literal translation. It's basically the sauce. Once you make that sauce, then you're all set to go. <laughs> some people do like just the hook, the, the actual fish. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's a bit much. <laughs> that's a strong flavor fish. <laughs> You know, it's funny because my mom is now married to a white guy and like the yeah. skin, he liked it. She was like, yes, my mission is complete. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly is a criteria for a lot of the Cambodian people I know. They're like, you know, if they don't appreciate Tokpohok, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> But then I'm also very happy to date people who don't like durian because then there's more for me. That is true. That is one way I don't to compromise. Have, yeah, then I don't have to fight for my share. I can just eat the whole thing and take my time to eat it without being scared that somebody's going to eat it. But then, see, there's where the arguments come in. Is just, if they don't like it, then even having it, you know, the smell in the house, they're going to complain, complain, complain. I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, I brought friends over who weren't Southeast Asian. They'd come in and be like, either, you know, if my mom was cooking fish, they'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> it smells so strong in here. They couldn't handle it. Or, you know, it's just cutting up a durian and like letting it or you know on the few days where she'd be making something that western people like you know like a steak dish or something or some fried chicken they would love the smells it'd be a completely different reaction but normally the traditional Cambodian food is pretty smelly mm -hmm. I agree with that and I like I like look like a lot yes see that's one of the ones that western people love that's just you know a nice seasoned meat dish you know, with lettuce and tomatoes and sometimes an egg, but, an you know, and what was that? An onion. Don't forget the yes, onion. Yes, and onions. Oh my God, I almost forgot. But see, just describing that, that could be any Western cuisine right there. Just, you know, steak, okay, lettuce, so, tomatoes, onions. So here's the debate because I've spoken with a few Cambodian friends and they put tomato sauce in the rice. And I'm like, no, it must be because you're destitute and you can't afford the real red spice, which is satay for us. It's like mm -hmm. a five spice flavor that comes in a bag. And my friends who obviously come from the ghetto, they're like, no, no, no. It's like tomato paste, tomato sauce. And I'm like, no, dude, you're just like being cheap. Don't do that. And when I go to a restaurant, they also put tomato sauce. So, so what's up with that? I think that is appealing to Western taste. Because you see, the tomato sauce has no spice to it. Oh, see? yeah. But it's not More spicy. Western. Like, it doesn't, like, it's spicy, like, flavorful. It's not spicy, like, it doesn't hurt. You'd be surprised. There's so many oh my of my gosh. friends for the first time they <laughs> ate with me. They couldn't even handle like something that I like put this spice in that. They're like, oh my God, this is hot. This is, this is too much. Because you go to Southeast Asia, you know, you got Thai people, you got Laos people, you got Cambodian people. All of that spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're not even talking about this level. It's like, to me, it's so mild. Like, how, how could you, how can you be so sensitive? I know. I know. I thought the same thing. But you know, 
that you think they're faking until you see them with their eyes watery and their face red. <laughs> You're just like, okay, I guess this is too much for you to handle. So that's why the restaurants probably, you know, for your friends, they cater to that taste. Because if they just made it all spicy, you know, they wouldn't sell a lot. So the restaurant definitely has to cater to them. But probably when they're cooking in their home kitchen, you know, they probably include the spices. Yeah, I, w- I would believe so. I hope so, at least. <laughs> I hope so. I hope my people don't lose out to the spices at home. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, don't, don't lose it. It's so delicious. I feel like that's part of our culture. You know, Southeast Asia, you got to have the famous chilies. You know, a lot of people know, think, I think a lot of people just identify them as Thai chilies. I don't know where the chilies originate from. All I know is that they're super spicy and super delicious. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have like lots of soup next to it. And it's also common for Cambodian like meals to also come with soda. Like a lot of people just have a Coke or something next to it. I don't know. Was that when you were in Cambodia? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny Mm. because I feel like you're way more Cambodian than me. And it's so funny how you've never been. I know. It makes me so sad. Don't remind me. <laughs> I swear. I get... I'm going to be like filthy rich. I'll send you to Cambodia for a trip, for vacation. That would be amazing. And I would just be like, okay, time to eat everything possible. But here's what I think. This is also something that I've heard from my mom. A lot of, most of the food will be accompanied by soda because a lot of the small restaurants and local shops don't have clean water to sell you. Mm-hmm. you see? If they give you tap water, you'd probably get diarrhea or something, you know? Yes, and you can't even have ice cubes or you can't have fresh vegetables because they are also washed by the sink water. Yeah, you can't be careful. But also, like, I remember we had to be um, vaccinated. We also had to take the pills against malaria. And we also had these tablets if you wanted to drink uh, water. So you dissolve those tablets and that was so disgusting. I couldn't believe it. What were they, like iodine tablets or something? Just for purifying? I don't know. I'm having PTSD from it. My memory is blocked. I can't. (laughs) It's a repressed memory. Oh, my God. It was supposed to be a fun trip. Now you're making me like, do I want to go on this trip anymore? But you know, the weirdest thing is that they eat noodles in the morning, like uh, savory and hot stuff. And for us French people, it's very unnatural. So we have croissant. We have like basically cold food and it's sweet. That's for the morning. And when we're jet lagged, you have to go to a restaurant and eat savory stuff. And one day I was like, you know what? We brought powdered milk and hot chocolate powder. So we could make ourselves like a hot chocolate like back home. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we had to purify some water. So put the tablet in it, put the powdered milk and some, I don't know, some chocolate powder brand. And it was so gross. And then we gave some some to our relatives and they're like, what do you eat for the morning? How could you do that? Like, it's way too sweet. Good. Yeah, it's it's too sweet to begin with. And second, like as soon as you put any, like you put the tablet, that's it. Just throw it out. You see, my my experience in growing up in America, I feel, is more akin to the Cambodian experience. My breakfast was always, you know, savory foods like that, soups, noodles, rice, maybe whatever. And it was interesting to me the first time in elementary school that I had American-style breakfast, which, like, you know, your friend stuff, you know, was much sweeter. It wasn't savory. Maybe they had, like, a muffin or cereal or French toast or whatever, you know, some or pancakes with syrup and things like that. And I was blown away. I was like, this is so much sugar in the morning. Aren't we going to crash? Like, I could not handle it. Growing up in my household, I always had rice, you know, either in porridge form, you know, as mama or whatever. And that would be my breakfast. And uh, I remember one of my early jobs as a teenager, I worked in a kitchen at a senior home. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's time to get the breakfast prepared. Let's get the quiche out and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, quiche? What is, what is, what is that? Which one do I give them? And they were like, what? You don't know what that is? What do you have for breakfast? And I told them rice and they were all blown away. It's like, who has rice for breakfast? <laughs> and I was just like sitting there like, oh, I guess my culture is different. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like rice is not even filling. Like I, I'm hungry after rice after two hours. Oh my God. Rice is so filling. You just got to put it with something. It's the ultimate accompaniment to any. You want to stay full for hours? Have something greasy and fatty. You know, something, some pork, some, some beef and have it on top of rice, it's just oh, it's so much more satisfying. I don't understand people who just eat plain protein, you know, just straight up meat. I'm just going to down this whole, you know, 12 ounce steak with nothing. I'm like, dude, you have that steak, put it on top of rice, put some <laughs> sauce on there, 
you got a gourmet meal. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> it's true that Cambodian food are not very vegetarian friendly. It was hard to even find vegetarian food. I mean, it's part of like most Asian cuisine is that you have meat everywhere. Oh, definitely. And um, I mean, that was never an issue for me, but I can I can definitely understand where you're coming from. Because uh, seeing it, you know, the meat, I guess, was, was emphasized to be so important. Maybe because, you know, growing up, having meat during the war was hard. But, you know, you'd eat a whole bunch of rice. Like, I remember I'd have like a, a whole handful of rice with like one slice of meat. And that was, you know, the meat was so flavorful and so good that it would work with that much rice. So you'd get so full off of the rice and the meat would just be like a nice little bonus. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> There's even rice in dessert. That's the funniest thing. Like, do you know the um, fermented rice, the black rice? And you can put yes. like red beans on it or something? Yes. Yes. Oh, man. And you can, you can usually cook something like that in like a, a bamboo shoot or something, make it sweet, steam it, whatever. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. A lot of those types. Yeah, it's true. Even like the gnome psalm. Mm-hmm. Rice is so versatile, but like I said, I'm not too big on desserts, though, personally. <laughs> I'll convert you. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Well, you're going to have to send me on that trip and then make me eat all the, the fresh desserts in Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they have less sugar than in Western culture because they always adjust based on the culture, right? So mm -hmm. it could be that they have a less sugary version, but I'm not too sure. I do remember... Uh, one like dessert style snack that I really enjoy. I don't know if it'd be an actual dessert, but it's uh, a got two, which is basically shaved ice. And, you know, before this whole bubble tea craze took over for the young generation growing up where I'm from, that is the main thing we got. We didn't order bubble tea. We ordered got two and we put a bunch of things in it. Fruits, grass jelly, mango, coconut, lychee, whatever. And it was so amazing. Just think of Hawaiian shaved ice for those people out there who are trying to figure out what I'm talking about. Hawaiian shaved ice with condensed milk on top and a bunch of fruits on the side. Oh, man. See, now that's something sweet that I could appreciate. <laughs> so also, uh, let's go back onto like the um, Cambodian language. How was it like okay. with you like speaking at home and was there dominant language between your siblings? So it was very interesting because I am child number five. I didn't get the same experience as my early siblings. My early siblings, my dad had the time to teach them all. You know, he had a little instruction book and after school, he would basically homeschool them and they would practice their letters and then all I remember is as as like a three or four year old watching him go it's <laughs> one of the pages of the letters you have to learn and I still don't know what it's for by the time it got to me the lessons sort of ended he didn't have the time or he didn't have the same energy so I didn't get that same teaching all I had to go off of was by word of mouth by watching by listening and trying to learn the correct sentence structure and grammar and words and vocabulary, which to this day, half the time, you know, a native speaker will be like, ah, oh, you're not that great at this. <laughs> But your Cambodian is really great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I try my best, you know, I, I try to sound fluent when I need to, but it's always awkward because, you know, older people in your family, they'll always tease you. They'll always say things like, oh, which means you don't know how to speak fine, huh? And you, you'd try to say something back, but then you get so flustered, you know, you're just like, I can, but you're just putting me on the spot. <laughs> so yeah. definitely English was the dominant language. For there is this brutal honesty in Cambodia. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of people with no filter whatsoever. They would say everything that's on their mind. And you'd oh, see that like in TV shows, you'd see that in um, like in movies and also like within my family, I felt like it's so unnecessary. I, I totally agree. I think it comes from the fact that uh, in, in the Cambodian culture, at least I only see it from older people. Everyone's supposed to respect their elders and the elders have lived long enough to basically just do or say whatever they want and they can tease you about anything. And I think they just think it's good fun because like they're like, oh, you know, Life is really difficult. So me being brutally honest is not painful at all, which to them, I don't think is something they can grasp. Like if you were to try to teach an older 
Cambodian person, what they teach young people nowadays about being understanding, you know, compassionate and empathetic, things like that. They would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Yeah, they'd be like, you know, you're so soft. You're demanding. Exactly. Like, Who do you think you are? You're drama queen. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And they'd probably make fun of you and tease you until you cried. And then they all think it's a joke. In Western cultures, you know, they would consider that like childhood trauma. That's <laughs> what they would consider. <laughs> it's so true. I'm interested. What is the Cambodian community like in France outside of your, your family? Like, is there a community or is it just everyone's just living on their own? No, I feel like we have a Chinatown in Paris um, on the 13th arrondissement. So there's a lot of... Um, Asian populations there and people just find each other there's like this network and I know my grandma like she likes to play cards with her friends and my mom she likes to exchange like plants and stuff so they have their own community but I don't know how they find that and it's not like law where they have a, a physical location a park to meet so they meet at each other's home mostly okay so it's definitely much smaller but at least it's still a thing that people communicate and get together because i know uh, that's not always the case i mean lowell is great now but like any small and ghetto area it, it did not start that way i guess when the Khmer Rouge happened and cambodian people were settled in lowell and in california places in california it, they weren't settled to the best neighborhoods and there was a lot of strife you know a lot of people who couldn't adjust and, you know, a lot of people raising bad people. So you have a lot of gangs that are Cambodian. Like they're not black gangs or Spanish gangs. They're Cambodian gangs. And it's not pleasant to see, but I mean, it's definitely there. So I guess in their own way, they had that sort of community. But I'm glad to say that here, at least, we were able to basically move past that. You don't see much of that nowadays. And Mainly, you see, um, like I said before, people gathering at the large uh, Cambodian community areas, the temples, the little Cambodia town, the, the, the parks. It's definitely made it easier for me to feel comfortable growing up. I've heard horror stories of people growing up in other places that don't have any Cambodian community support, and they just don't know how to identify. I'm wondering if that specific community is also helpful because there's two sorts of Cambodians. So like people who like to go back, such as your mom, when you, when you were saying that she's glowing after she came back. Mm-hmm. But like for my mom, for example, she's traumatized by the war that she would not want to set foot back in her home country. So she travels to Thailand. She finds the same fruit and the same climate. So she likes um, similar traditions and similar ways of living but not being totally there and for my dad for example he still has family there so he goes to visit because he has a reason to but being traumatized by the war sort of makes you want to build a separate community that's not exactly in a place where you live the trauma where you lost half your family where there's genocide and famine and so Mm -hmm. it's it's also nice that you could like relocate this tradition and this history i'm just wondering how it's going to affect like the new generations and how they're going to see that like being half traumatized or being half you know happy that's the thing with especially with my little brother growing up now he's just started high school he's like 10 years younger than the rest of us at least and he has no idea about any of that history you know growing up my dad always wanted us to be tough and strong and prepared for a hard world because like i said his childhood just got turned upside down so he wanted us to be prepared in case that could ever happen so he was tough on us but he taught us everything we needed to learn and he he basically like hey you know the world is going to be tough on you at some point in your life so you got to be ready for that my little brother he's not even aware like he doesn't know much details of the war at all he's just happy-go-lucky plays his video games, does his chores. He's not like the rest of us, but I mean, he's an extremely happy kid. It's not a bad thing, but you know, as the older Cambodians would say, he's soft. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Um, So people being so tough, like how do you think it's going to affect dating? Because I have heard like several stories about Cambodian men are very macho. They will cheat on you and Cambodian women tend to be more submissive. And of course, those are stereotypes. Like they're yes. not true for everybody, but it tends to be like a trend that could attract white male, as I've seen from my experience, that they have these image that women tend to be dominated. Yeah, I can totally see that stereotype, but I feel like that's more like of a general Asian stereotype. Most of the 
Cambodian girls that I know are like pretty tough girls. Like they're not necessarily masculine, but they're definitely outspoken. <laughs> so, you know, when you when you think of a, a, a typical Asian person in like a, a Western film, you know, they're shy or they're quiet or they're nerdy. A lot of the people that I knew growing up were like very outspoken or very in your face type attitude, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. So I think it definitely applies to a generalization of Asians more than Cambodian people. Because there was a funny meme I saw once that um, was like, oh, what people think of when they think of Cambodians. And it showed, like I said, you know, a typical Western Asian character who's like nerdy. And then he's like, what I think of, because I, I grew up in Lowell. And all you see is a bunch of like super like tough looking guys who, who would, you wouldn't want to talk to. You wouldn't want to be near at, you would lock your doors if you drove past them. <laughs> so I was just like, it's definitely a generalization of Asian people. But um, for the topic of Asian men dating, I mean, sad to say, like you said, I do see a lot of the aggressive types, you know, who, who, who I mentioned before, who are probably in those gangs or you know, not raised in the right environment. They definitely are not the greatest people to date, rampant cheating, things like that, rampant drama. I mean, I've seen neighbors who have like little domestic disputes in the streets. You know, other neighbors call the cops, you know, just like, oh, you know, they're too loud and they might get violent or things like that. And then in other cases, I've seen loving families, you know, like the typical Western family where Cambodian guy, He's a normal dude you'd see in any romantic comedy. So it's definitely a stereotype, but I think it is on an individual basis. Like, it's hard to say that it's due to being Cambodian that their dating attitude or their attitude is like that. Now, <laughs> Western fetishization, is that the word? <laughs> their attitude of that towards um, Cambodian women is probably due to the idea of People put it in movies a lot where you go to Southeast Asia and there's a lot of brothels or things like that. That's going to happen with any third world country. Rich people from the West are going to go there to have like sexual relations with, with any woman. They're like, oh, you can dominate them. Well, they're from a third world country. You know, they don't know any other way to make money. That's not how they would act if they grew up in America. So. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to change that in the media and the way we portray things. But also... I tend to feel like there's also a fascination from Asian women to white men because it represents power, it represents wealth. And so they also have to change their mindset that not everybody's an angel, not everybody's evil, you know? Oh, I totally, I totally agree. But, you know, sometimes you just can't change someone's mind because, you know, they watch a movie and that's what they think these things are. So they just have to experience it for themselves that, uh, you know, not every white person who goes to Asia is an angel you know he's he's not there to bring you money and power I mean that's not to say that all white men are bad but you know you can't try to say that this dude is better than anyone in your country or that you know I'd rather date white men than my own people because you know this and that it's just a lie that they see in movies yeah, <laughs> there are plenty productive exactly there are plenty of of Cambodian men who I've seen you know, super successful. I'm one of our, you know, one of our old co-workers, you know, what is his name with the PhD? So cool. can't remember. Yes, yeah, so cool. He has a great story, super successful, happy family. I don't think his wife would ever consider being with anyone else because <laughs> they seem happy. Yes. Oh, that's so nice. Well, 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 since we had this great discussion about Cambodian culture and Cambodian New Year, do you happen to have a last piece of advice for listeners? My last piece of advice would just be to keep an open mind in all things, you know, try the food, try the culture, try to meet and talk with the people. You know, some, sometimes some people go in for closed mind. And like you said, they'll try to come in with these, these stereotypes and generalizations. And that's just not a good attitude. If you come in like that, Cambodian people won't like you. But you come up with an open attitude. They might make some jokes. They might tease you. They might call you soft. But they'll, they'll appreciate you. You'll have fun. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time on this podcast. I hope to see you soon. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. See you. If you love the podcast, you can check out my blog, Education Monsters. It's education-monsters.com. You can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my Patreon page. The link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. 
And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.